Welcome to Horsepower to Hyperloops, Kettering University's official podcast, where we serve up a smorgasbord of fascinating people, groundbreaking ideas, and noteworthy advancements in fields as diverse as mobility, healthcare, engineering, and technology. If you look at it holistically, we're going to net create jobs as we automate the industry. And you can take a bunch of other industries as prior examples to that, right? And Kettering University, having been behind automating the automotive industry, which is way larger today, employs way more people today than when it didn't have automation. The same holds true for the banking industry. It just goes on and on that as you automate industries, it creates a stronger industry with more employed people. Hi, I'm Tim Troop Noonan, host of the In the Mix series at Horsepower to Hyperloops. And that was Sean Lang, Kettering Class of 2001 and founder and president of Lab2Fab, an engineering consulting firm which brings next-level improvements and efficiencies to the food service industry through robotics, AI, and automation. Think robots who make your coffee and even dance a little in the airport or prepare your pizza at a restaurant. Think smart nozzles that streamline pouring drinks at the game, saving time, tracking inventory, and cutting wastage by as much as 30%. After double majoring in mechanical and electrical engineering at Kettering, Lang began his career in the semiconductor industry, where he eventually moved into sales. A few years later, he and another Kettering grad, Derek Peets, took a consulting job which they turned into Lab2Fab. Contracts continued to pour in, and in 2016, Lab2Fab was named the second fastest growing engineering company in the U.S. and the fourth fastest growing company in Silicon Valley. Doing business with the top company in five different verticals and counting Tesla and SpaceX among their clients, they ultimately decided to focus just on the food service industry because their research suggested it was the ripest industry for growth. In 2017, Lab2Fab, of which Lang remains president, was purchased by Middleby Corporation, a world leader in commercial and residential kitchen equipment and industrial food processing. Recently, I spoke to Sean about how Lab2Fab is helping to revolutionize the way the food service industry operates and improves the experience for the customer, and what eating out in all its various manifestations may look like 10 years from now. Welcome to Horsepower to Hyperloops. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Tim. It's great to be here. Now, you've got a very interesting place given the way the restaurant industry has changed recently and particularly with the pandemic. We used to go in, order an item from a waiter or waitress, and that was that. But now there are a lot of different opportunities with the third parties, DoorDash, phone, whatever. And you're sitting right in the middle of that with your company, Lab2Fab. But tell me a little bit about, from your perspective, how the industry, how food service, how the restaurant business is changing. And then we can talk about how you're helping that change. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Tim. The food industry right now, the restaurant industry in particular, is changing rapidly. 
COVID for one spawned that from a cleanliness standpoint, touch points and that sort of deal. There's a lot of tracking of, you know, the temperatures things have been stored in and that sort of deal. But really the biggest innovations we've seen in food have come around automation that has started in the front of house with ordering. So like you said, it used to be dine-in. Today it's dine-in, it's phone-in, it's online order. There's a drive-through, there's a pickup window. Like you said, there's third parties involved. And so the ordering process and then behind the scenes, the development and prepping of the meals and getting those out to the customers at the right times is extremely complicated and, and demands automation. And we saw automation start within the industry with automated ordering kiosks as far as being able to go in and use a touchscreen to place your orders. And then that would go to the kitchen. And then when your order is done, right, they call your number or whatever. You know, that's relatively new within the industry, even though that technology itself isn't that new. So that was the first place that started. And now, again, when you add in all of these different areas that people can order from, processing of food becomes complicated. So I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I definitely had it. I won't mention the brand because it happens to also be a customer. But there was one time that I was in a restaurant that does a lot of delivery and I think a football game was on or something, you know, and we're sitting in the restaurant, me and one other person, the restaurant's empty. And it took us an hour to get our very basic food. And during that time, we saw a massive DoorDash order go out the door for people that weren't in the restaurant. Right. And so that's a frustrating experience for people inside the restaurant. And for sure, you know, the large restaurant chains, they're looking at that and saying, that's not the experience we want to give, right? These are people that have come into our store. They're here experiencing our brand. And so how can we automate around this to give faster service? And so speed's really coming into play. There's a lot of restaurants where simply their top line and their bottom line could both increase significantly if they could just increase their speed of service during those key times. So where that leads to lab to fab with our parent company, Middleby, you know, Middleby, we're in all the top chains in the world as it is. And then with L2F, we're the automation arm, you know, we're looking at things like automating drink dispense, automating crying, automating dispensing of bulk ingredients. So as you know, Tim, you know, we have the wireless pour control device that we primarily sell into stadiums, Skyflow. We have a pizza bot that has just gone into beta, which does three to four base dispense operations for pizza making that are high cost, high labor contents, and it's easy to deploy into a current pizza kitchen. And then uh, coming up here in August, we're going to show the world our version of a automated frying machine. Which we're calling for. Well, let's let me break that down a little bit, and let's talk about each one of those. But we're talking about robotics and artificial intelligence and machine learning and things that you don't think about going into pizzas and French fries and coffee. Yeah. And so we're talking about, in fact, right now, and if I can jump into one that I find particularly interesting, and you can see some videos on it, you can go into a couple airports there in California, 
and get your coffee served to you by this sort of dancing robot in a kiosk. When I walk up to the airport, I don't talk to a person. I push my order in with my hand, and then this big white arm device picks up the cup, turns it around, puts in the ingredients, whether I have a latte or a mocha, moves it here, moves it there. And while it's doing something, it looks at me, jumps up and down a little bit, grabs it again, puts it in a thing, takes my money. I've never talked to a soul, right? Right. No, and I think you'll continue to see that. I think you'll see more cost-effective <laughs> implementations in that one. So let's talk about then, you know, you were mentioning artificial intelligence and machine learning, kind of what we're doing in that space. I recently did a post on LinkedIn about you know, AI, ML, and deep learning, you know, directly speaking, we're not doing any deep learning stuff today at L2F, although there's other people in the industry that are doing that. But from an AI standpoint, artificial intelligence, you know, we're taking, for example, with our Skyflow product, we're taking a bunch of data from the piece of automation, because what's great about automation is all the data it produces. So for example, our spout, has, you know, inclinometer, accelerometer, has liquid detect, it's got bottle presence detect, right? We can see the current inside the motor that's inside. And there's just a number of things we can, number of things that we can look at. And we can see- So wait, wait a second. When I buy Skyflow, I'm a bar, I own a bar, or I, I have a concession at a stadium, where I understand you are. I don't end up having a bartender. I bought this nozzle, this smart nozzle, which does all this stuff. Is that correct? We believe there is a reason for a bartender mm -hmm. to be able to handle the customer, talk to the customer, deal with objections. A lot of times, not in the stadium typically, but a lot of times in bars, the bartender can be a, you know, someone to talk to, right? That people go to, usually someone's good conversationalist, that sort of thing. It's a friendly place to go. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is free that bartender up to do all that stuff and to use the strengths of being a, a human being, which is to re relate with other people and to help build the customer's brand and the experience. And then what we're taking away is the inaccuracy and the pores. We're taking away the ability, and some people will be upset at this, but we're taking away the ability for someone at a sporting event to kind of bypass the whole line and, and slip $20 to the bartender to get a drink. But what we are doing is we're increasing speed of service by 40%. So you don't have to stand in line as long. And so, you know, from an AI standpoint, all this stuff, all this data that's in there, we're collecting it, bringing it back up into the cloud. You know, some of the stuff is just basic. It's not AI. But on the AI side, the first algorithm that we've been working on is looking at anomalies in the usage of the spouts. So, for example, at, at one of the bars that we have our latest generation in, we saw a 0.75 ounce, not a full shot, just a little partial shot being poured every day at 1.30 before they're open for business. And it may be the owner, right? It may be something that they do together. It's fine, right? But that's an anomaly. That's something that we're trying to pick out and say, okay, what's going on here? Or we're looking at, and then we can give actionable data, right? So we can see what's going on in the environment and come back and say, hey, we've seen an anomaly here. You should go check out on it. The future, what we plan to do is because we can see bottle changes, we can see the amount of liquid that's going through, you know, we're working towards inventory management, so it's smart and it can say, hey, you're on track to use up all of your absolute vodka by this date. You should place another order. Inventory management is something bartenders have to do after hours. It's terrible. It's a lot of work. And 
if you run out of something that's hot and selling in the middle of an event, that, that can kind of be a killer. If I'm a guy at a football game, for instance, I'm, I'm going to miss fewer touchdowns because I'm not standing in line so long. And if I'm the owner of a bar, I'm getting a lot more information about what I'm selling, what I'm needing, my inventory, and if something's amiss in terms of the what's getting poured and when. Yeah. Or let's say you just want to do a limited time offer. One of your alcohol vendors wants to do a limited time offer with some new special liqueur or something. You know, you can connect it with a certain spot. We can look at it. We can track it. And in real time, we can tell you how it's performing at an event. So, you know, we're looking at, especially within the stadium environments, to a degree, the POS companies will do some of this as well. But we see everything that gets poured out of the bottle. We see every time the the spout is taken off and put back on a bottle. The POS system only sees what's rung up. So we see everything. And so at a sporting event, for example, at every stadium, at least in the United States, the day after an event, the head of food and beverage or the head of beverage, it's usually sometimes combined, usually separate, but they have to go do a check across three systems. They have to look and see what did the liquor control system see poured? What did the POS see logged in? And what do our inventory levels say we're at? And before we started automating some of the reports for them, if they were just looking through raw data, this was a full day's effort, eight hours. The next day after every event, one of the managers that we work with says we've shortened his reporting time down from a full day to under an hour. So that's pretty huge. And then again, just to give insights and say, hey, this is what's selling or to look across there, you know, some stadiums will have 50 bars and to look across 50 bars and say, this bar over here pours more drinks per hour than this one over here. Why? You know, we're starting to put dashboards in where we can do something that we saw in bar rescue and we took a twist to it, but that's looking at the, you know, drinks per minute that's going on. And so, we now can do in real time, and it looks kind of like a tachometer in a car, but show a bartender what their pours per minute are versus the rest of the stadium. The bartender's there to talk to people and not always pouring drinks. That's really a fabulous thing, it seems like. And they have to pour accurately, and they don't pour accurately. Our tests have shown that using a jigger in a stadium, right? And you're not talking about master mixologists or anything like that, right? You know, it's a four-hour event, you know, what, you know, a couple dozen times a year. So anyway, the average bartender we found, because we can put ours in free pour and then just measure what's coming out, the average bartender is overpouring about 30% at stadiums is what we see. That's a lot of product. Liquor is one of the most expensive, expensive liquids on the planet like it's expensive per liter (laughs) it's really way more expensive than gasoline and think of how we measure and monitor gasoline right and so it's really important and so liquor control is nothing new that's been out we have some really good competition there but most liquor control slows operations down and makes the experience a little crappier and so while you can get a you know 15 to 30% reduction in your cost of goods sold, you end up slowing service down. So it has a negative impact there. You still will see an overall positive impact with just straight liquor control. But when you introduce Skyflow, 
Again, we're faster than a jigger and a jigger is faster than today's typical pour control. And we're about 40% from the tests we've done faster than a jigger and 30% more accurate. So take those numbers and reduce them drastically down, but you're still talking about a massive swing in profitability for our customers. You know, every single place we've gone into so far, and these are not inexpensive devices, but the ROI is under a year. Well, now let me switch over to something. A lot of your stuff seems to me to be back office kitchen kind of stuff. The one I had never thought about how labor intensive a pizza is, but if you're making it, you make it and then you put the sauce on it, then you put the cheese on it, then you put a bunch of toppings on it. And if you're like my family, you got a third of it this way and a third of it that way and a third of it the other way. And that takes a lot of time and energy and you probably got the same product variability. I saw a video of your pizza bot and that really... I understand does a lot of work, uh, frees up, just like we were talking about with the bartenders, the personnel, and also a lot of this stuff beyond that keeps people away from a lot of the dangerous elements in the kitchen. So talk to me about the pizza bot and that sort of work and automation and, and so on that you're doing. Sure. And let me go back to the core mission of L2F, and that's to make it easy to operate a restaurant or a bar. And one of the challenges in pizza is that, and a lot of food is like this, right? But you have the vast majority of your orders come in over a short period of time, right? With pizza, this happens to be, you know, Friday nights, Saturday nights, Monday night football, that sort of thing. So you might have this massive rush in the evening for two, maybe three hours that you have to be at max staff for, but you really can't find people to work just two to three hours of a day or four hours, right? Consistently. I mean, it's hard for the individual, right? They need more than just four hours a day. So we want to try to help stabilize the number of people that are required in the back of house. So If that rush time means that that pizza restaurant or kitchen needs to go from, let's say, two people on average to three, like if if a chain pizza is, is operating on two people throughout the day or three people throughout the day, they might add one or two in the evening. We're trying to stabilize it so they wouldn't have to do that. And now you can give more stable working hours to your your team. And what we're really addressing with Pizza Bot We went out to the market without a doubt. The number one most labor intensive task for making a pizza is pepperoni. So all of the chains, it's very specific, the number of pepperoni and the pattern that the pepperoni is placed down. Really? The pattern is? Yeah. I'm not going to tell you who's or who's, but you can go count them. You know, one of the pizzas we're working with right now, their extra large pepperoni has 40 slices of pepperoni and it's in a very specific pattern. And the pattern... (laughs) And the way that they do it, I won't divulge that, but they all do it in pretty much the same way on how they create the patterns. And so our machine was developed so that they can tell us what their pattern is and we'll boom, put it in there. And pepperoni, while also being a highly expensive ingredient, again, it's the number one labor intensive part of making a pizza aside from making the dough. In fact, it's more labor intensive than the dough. It's one second per slice a pepperoni on average. So that means to do it quality and consistently, right? So again, if you're talking an extra large pizza with 40 slices of pepperoni, that's 40 seconds spent putting pepperoni on. Times uh, X number of pizzas. Sure. Yeah, that's that's a huge amount of time just putting the pepperoni on that, that somebody has to do. 
again, for quality and all that, they want it accurate. So we had that feedback come to us like, hey, help us with pepperoni, help us with pepperoni. And when I look at the operation, when people came to us and said, hey, automate pepperoni, we said, well, I don't know that you want to automate just that operation. Plus, we've got sauce. And if we've got sauce and you want pepperoni, we might as well do cheese because that's the order. So, And then the second part of that is that cheese is the number one cost aspect of a pizza. So pepperoni is the number one labor content. Cheese is the number one cost. It's very expensive, cheese. So you have to monitor that like you monitor other products particularly. Yeah. You want to dispense it accurately. So the way that you know most chains will do it today is they usually have a cup that people have to measure into and get it specific. But you'll see at these pizza restaurants when the manager's not around, it's by hand. No, they just sprinkle it on there and some of them are probably four handfuls and some of them are probably two. And the thing is, is like when you look at the specifications of these pizza manufacturers, you know, they want it accurate within better than an ounce. And when you talk about an ounce of cheese, that might sound like a lot of cheese, like a large or an extra large pizza might have somewhere around 10 ounces of cheese. So if you say get it within an ounce, you're talking about like 10% accuracy But to the human eye, that amount of cheese is like a little sprinkle out of your hand. It's really not much. Aside from, you know, a very experienced, (laughs) someone like Tony Gemignani, right? I'm sure he knows exactly how much cheese he's getting on his pies, but it's not happening in the fast food chains, right? Or in the, excuse me, the chain pizza places. So, you know, we're attacking that. That's what the market told us is to attack those three layers. And that's what we're doing. We've got a lot of interest and, you know, our theory, and we'll see how the tests go. But our theory is that you put this in the kitchen and, you know, the people that are working in there, they, every single pizza in the U S right. And most of them get sauce, cheese and pepperoni, right. Or, or sauce and cheese. So they put a dough in our machine and they walk away for about a minute and then come back and get it. And during that minute, what do they do? They help process the order, go get the drinks, go load another pizza in the oven. If you watch people work inside of a pizza restaurant, people aren't typically standing at one station like a manufacturing line in a plant, right? Where the car comes to them. They're moving to different stations constantly. So allowing them more freedom to move around and do these things while something else is being done has a lot of value. We're talking, by the way, to Sean Lang, president and founder of lab to fab which is a company, uh, a division of Middleby Corporation, and it is involved in automating the food industry, providing a lot of different automated solutions for all kinds of industries, and we're talking about these. So if I am uh, three years ago working in a pizza parlor, and I'm used to making the pizza, and then I pour the sauce, and I put the cheese, and I cut the pepperoni, and I place the pepperoni according to the pattern that my boss wants me to put on the other things, and that was my job. Now, I have the pie, and I just put it in the machine, and your machine does that all. Am I correct? And I go deal with other stuff. Yeah, it does the base layers, then you go deal with other stuff. And then if something goes on top after the cheese or pepperoni, because they want to have veggie or they want to have some sort of limited time offer, the prep table's there and they finish those off. And typically the other ingredients like the vegetables is not as cost intensive and it's very fast for a human to put out a handful sprinkling of the veggies and stuff. So yeah, 100%. So there's no truth to the fact that you're also sprinkling microchips from Bill Gates onto the pizzas, right? That's not happening. We're definitely not doing that. (laughs) So 
One thing that people always talk about when automation comes up is the issue of employment. I just made a a drive down through the Midwest, and it is kind of interesting. At this point in time, which is the summer of 2021, we went by a lot of closed restaurants, some of them casual, some of them fast food, and they were closed except for the window because there's nobody to work there. Yeah. So we're having a challenge in that regard. But a lot of times people say, well, you're taking jobs from people, but you're not. You're taking danger away from people in terms of getting away from sharp things, putting things into hot ovens. And you're also freeing people up is what I'm understanding. So talk to me a little bit about that trade-off between automation and improving the quality of life and the safety, perhaps, of the people, but not cutting their jobs. Yeah, absolutely, Tim. And I'll take this from a perspective of that's unique to me of how I view it, right? And that's that, and I'm not saying this is how the industry views it, right? So we've seen that time and time again. Now, I personally believe that minimum wage should come up to help stabilize the workforce. Because right now there's a labor shortage in food because nobody wants to work in food because it's so hard and the pay is minimal. It's really hard to work in the back of a kitchen or to work in a kitchen. And it doesn't matter if it's fast food or if it's fast casual or if it's fine dining. I have friends that have been in all three of those from Michelin star to KFC. And it's hard across the board. So if we can take an operation like we're automating frying right now, if we can take a process like frying and automate it and nobody likes to sit by the fryer and fry. Maybe there's a few people out there in the world, but by (laughs) and large. I've always thought that would be just terrible to sit there over the French fries with the boiling oil in July in South Georgia. Uh, That just sounds hard, like you say. Yes, and go ask anyone that's worked a fryer, including the retired COO of Middleby, Dave Brewer, and ask them to show you their arms, their scars from frying. It's going to happen. But you're automating that. We're automating it, right? There's other people out there automating it it as well. So, you know, the challenge with automating it is that no two restaurants are set up the same. And so how do you automate it while still allowing the people that are in the restaurant to maneuver through the corridors and areas that they have and to keep it safe is quite a challenge. You know, you see some people have chosen to just kind of block off the area and just say this is the automated area and and you just kind of interface through an opening or something like that it's a very interesting point in time like i said before where you know kind of to service the what we call brownfield and the existing stores that are out there right you know some of these chains 30 40 50,000 locations and so they're not going to completely change the layout of every single one. That's too cost prohibitive, especially franchisees own them and they're making money. So why are they going to do it? But if you can come in and say, hey, I'm going to automate the frying area and just, you're not going to have to worry about staffing it. You're not going to have to worry about injuries, right? People are excited about that. Now, I, I would say the flip side of that is, is when you traditionally talk to the supply chain people within the food industry, and it's not all of them, there's a lot of very, technologically advanced companies within the industry, but a good number of the supply chain side only looks at the labor savings that automation brings in. 
They don't look at the quality. They don't look at efficiency. They try to look at speed of service, but it's hard. And the reason that because it's just hard to quantify, right? And they want to make a decision based off of quantifiable data. And so the only thing that is easily quantifiable until you put it into testing like that is to, is to say, well, how much labor is this going to save me? And where that gets tricky in the frying operation is a lot of people will say, well, I want to automate the fryer so I don't have to have someone at the fryer all day. Most of the chains that I go into, it's like the pizza restaurants. There's not one person standing in front of the fryer all day, right? Yes, during lunch rush, it might get so packed that someone's got to be there and constantly handle it. And the automation will be great for that because you don't have to increase your staffing just for the rush. Same premise that we developed PB5K on. Pizza bot on. And so, again, come back to the French fries. If I can just make it so it levelizes the talent that you need across the day, it helps the business. It helps it so that you don't need to bring on one extra person for a few hours and reduce everyone's pay because one extra person's needed. Now, let's just stay with four or five, however many people it is, throughout full shift or whatever, and you'll be able to pay each of them a little bit more this is my theory, they will then therefore stay in the job longer. You don't have to go up and down with manning the prior. Now you're working, you know, we talked about pizza, coffee, liquor, and now we're talking about some processes. There's there's a large number of processes, frying ovens, all kinds of things that Lab to Fab is working on, right? Just everything from soup to nuts in the kitchen and in the restaurant industry, correct? Middleby is working on all of it. You know, at Lab to Fab, we're right now focused on a few core products. You know, Skyflow is the first one we got out. Right behind that is the Pizza Bot, and then on the heels of that is Frybot, and then we got another little something special in the works that uh, is pretty exciting that I can't talk about. <laughs> but you know, ultimately. It's to, again, automate as much of kind of the dirty, dangerous, difficult, the repetitive stuff. Anyone you talk to in food now is talking about this. It's like, you know, look at a Chick-fil-A and the service there is really good by and large. It's my pleasure every time you say thank you. Now, granted, they have a very unique hiring process and things like that, but they pay their employees pretty well. They're a community-based organization, but, they, you know, they treat their employees great. And so... You know, I believe that a lot of the industry has just gotten in this cost reduction focus to try to increase their profits. And we're now hitting the tipping point of it's all about creating a great customer experience and having good quality. And it's moving towards fresher, less preservative food, right, where automation can also help with that. So it's just a really fun time to be in food and you will ultimately see high automation, but in the time being, you're going to see little areas of it being automated, you know, and then you'll see us get some smarts into it like French fries. You know, the French fry machine's going to start cooking French fries before that first lunch rush person shows up. Well, now I've seen, you know, also, as you just mentioned, there's there's now salad companies. I mean, 10 years ago, when you went to lunch, you went to McDonald's. And if you wanted a healthy alternative, you had them put lettuce and tomato on your burger. Or you got the Uh, Diet Coke. There you go. And (laughs) now you can go to all these different restaurants. So that speaks to an increasing variety of freshness, quality, some local stuff, but also... We're talking about robotics and automation. It's changed so much in the past year and a half with the pandemic. 
what's it going to look like in 10 years? That's kind of a crazy question. may not look any different. It may just be smoother and more efficient and more profitable. I don't know. How do you think about that question? Well, A, I think the food is going to continue to increase in quality. I just Consumers are demanding it. You're going to see a lot more plant-based options out there, the Impossible Burgers and that sort of deal. But when you talk about the automation side of it, again, to kind of go back to where this conversation started, and that's that restaurants used to be a place that you went to go dine in, and there was only one way to order, and that's to sit down at a table. You know, and then there was takeout where you could call up and phone in an order, come grab it. You know, that was pretty much confined to a couple of cuisines for a long time, right? Chinese being a really popular takeout one, pizza. You know, then we had the drive through that came up. Now we've got pickup. Like we said, there's all these different ways to order today. And there's a lot more of we're just going to come pick up our food, whether that's a drive through or a pickup window. So... I think the biggest thing that's going to be visible to us over the next handful of years, five to 10 years, is going to be how many cars can go through a drive-through slash pickup area of a restaurant at a time. And so, you know, and they're addressing, this is not an easy problem. You might just say, well, let's just do more drive-in lanes. A, not easy to build those. B, how do you deal with the traffic? That it causes. If you look at some of the really busy drive-throughs, the traffic goes out into the streets and disrupts the local traffic patterns. That's bad. So you're going to see places that have two, three, four drive-throughs. You're going to have automated delivery of the food from the kitchen to those drive-throughs, right? How do you expedite food to somebody out at the fourth drive-thru, right? Those are challenges that are being looked at. You're going to have areas where the DoorDash maybe won't go through the drive-thru. They'll all be directed to this DoorDash third-party pickup area. And then they all have to get out of their cars, walk up, and they just grab food out of touchless pickup cabinets, scan a barcode or something, it opens up and they grab it. So there's just going to be all these different ways to interface with the restaurant. And then, of course, you'll have the dine-in option. People still do want to dine in. So you're certainly your your chain-based businesses, right? The big brand names we're all used to. You're going to see just a lot more flow of customers and orders going through the same kitchen, same restaurant. Sounds like you've got... New solutions are going to create new challenges. 100%. I keep seeing Rosie from the Jetsons coming out of the drive-in with the rolling out there, the the robotic. But, you know, that may be one, too. I'm sure it will be. Well, I mean, right. You already have delivery with the ground-based vehicles today, right? There's people looking at delivery of food using drones. Who is it? Uh, Domino's, right? Just started doing delivery with Neuro, with their autonomous vehicles. So that part's certainly coming, and that's coming way faster than 10 years, right? We're seeing that in the next few years. When you get down to the Rosie of the Jetsons that's actually in your house and cooking for you, you know, people are working on that too. Multiple people are working on that. You can buy a robotic chef today if you've got six figures and doesn't have too many meals programmed into it. Like for me, I'm thinking if I've if I'm gonna spend that kind of money, it's hire a personal chef. I want that robotic uh, barista in my kitchen. Well, okay. Well, so 
On that note, Tim, by the way, I mean, I've already talking with a partner who's got a mobile bot, but yeah, you, we're going to have, you know, waiters, waitresses that are bots that come serve it to your table too. And you sit at your table and you look at the menu on your phone, right? You're not touching a paper menu or anything like that. And you already see that today at the restaurants. You now scan a QR code, the menu pops up, then you go on the menu, you order whatever you want, and a robot's going to come out and you're going to grab your food off the tray, off the robot. That's wow. That's here. That's, I mean, like that's around the corner. That's not the future. That's today. Yes. Wow. Because I did that today. I ordered off a QR code of the uh, yeah. at a restaurant today. Now I had a a waiter, but that could easily be automatically delivered without question. It sounds like you're doing uh, some really cool stuff. I sure appreciate. You're coming on. Sean Lang, president and founder of lab to fab helping to automate the uh, food and restaurant industry. Thanks for joining us today on Horsepower to Hyperloops. Thank you, Tim. Super fun. Appreciate it. Join us again to hear Kettering University's podcast, Horsepower to Hyperloops, available from wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.